This is a relay project. The discourse starts right now with Cheryl Oates and Erica Baroudis. Welcome to the discourse. Today we're talking CPP, Daniel Smith's gravy train. But first, we are kicking it all off with Tylenol Gate. That's what you're calling it too, Erica, right? Tylenol Gate? Negatory. (laughs) But I'll let you call it it that. (laughs) (laughs) It was revealed earlier this week that less than 5,000 of the 1.5 million bottles of children's pain medication that Daniel Smith ordered from Turkey last year were ever used. Albertans remember there was this massive shortage of over-the-counter children's medication last winter that had parents feeling desperate to get their hands on a backup supply. And that's when the government announced an $80 million deal with a Turkish company to import those medicines. But the deal, for many reasons, has been a fiasco. Uh, There's been issue after issue. Most of the medication hasn't come in. What has come in hasn't been used. The government has attempted to sell off their supply to other provinces to no success. And yet, Erica, the UCP continues to defend this deal. Well, let's slow down this little feisty train that you've started us up on today and come back to like, why was the government looking for Tylenol or children's medication? I'm going to ask you that question. Because there wasn't any. There was none on shelves. Right. So there was an issue. And what was the response by Health Canada or the federal government to every premier on the timing of when they were going to get Tylenol? Okay. But what you're saying is basically everybody else, no one had a plan. Health Canada didn't have a plan. This was a crisis across, across the country. But don't worry, everybody. The UCP can solve it. Like, surely, if this was a great idea, someone else would have thought of it. Or... <laughs> Premier Danielle Smith thought of it. And that's how good ideas start with one person. So, you know, there was an issue. Parents panicking, children getting sick, not being able to go to your local pharmacy or a drugstore or anything like that to get the the thing you need. Like any leader knows that, you know, children being vulnerable and parents being distraught. You even said it wasn't available. Health Canada didn't step up. The federal government didn't step up. When the UCP and the government, and I was in the office at the time, was able to secure that, there was other provinces interested. There was them being like, thank you, Alberta, for not sitting on your hands and doing nothing about this. I'm so, not sure that's what the email said. The emails after, once they started getting them and once they were delayed, there was less interest. But there was initial interest by other provinces saying, hey, if you get it early, we're all on board. Now, did they did it turn out the way that it was wanted to turn out? No. Like, but I guess my question for you is why why is it bad for a government to take, you know, not sit on their hands and go find a solution that no one else is finding a solution for when it is a critical need and Albertans and Canadians can all benefit from it? It's not okay, great intentions are great intentions, but Albertans expect more than good intentions from their government. They expect a thoughtful plan that has pretty good likelihood of working. And this one seems ill thought through. It's really, really expensive and it didn't work. And there were multiple reasons it didn't work. One, most of the medication hasn't come yet. Two, there's a high likelihood that this medication is misdosed. And so AHS is no longer using it. And three, we couldn't sell any of it off. No province wanted our supply. And so now faced with all of this information, 
the UCP government is still saying, don't worry, we'll keep it, you know, in our back room until we need it again. But this medication will expire in 2026. And I think what we should take away from all of this is that time after time, this has been a fiasco. This has been a failure. Failure. This has been an absolute waste of millions of taxpayer dollars. And yet still the government maintains it was the right thing to do. And they have made no mistakes here. And I they think it was the line that the right they said it's a good idea. I think it was the right it, thing it, to do. It's a disaster. Time. But I, I'm not I'm not owning that it's not turned out poorly. Right. I think there could have been more due diligence on <laughs> what Health Canada requirements are. There was border blockage. There was supply chain issues. All of this, most of the things like were frankly, you know, out of out of control of the provincial government to some extent. But I again, intentions are intentions. So there is a price tag. Yes. Listen, let's go back to 2019 and the mistakes uh, that the NDP has brought forward. I'll take 80 million any day over 80 billion uh, of, of bad decision making um, and, uh, and impacting impacting Albertans. So, you know, like, how do you defend? Yeah, 80 million is a, is a decent chunk of change. But when it comes to the safety and security of the intention of helping families get the the drugs they need, is there really a price tag you can put on that? Well, I like, yes, of course, if there was a way to get the drugs that families need, ibuprofen and painkillers for children in the hands of parents, let's not put a price tag on it. Let make, let's make sure that people get what they need. But was this a plan that would have ever worked? And was it well thought through? Or was it that Premier Smith came into office at a time when people were feeling desperate and she felt like she needed to act on it as a new premier in the province, uh, sending a message to families that she'll be there when she needs it. And and she just went ahead. And, and I mean, to me, it seems arrogant to say, I'm brand new on the job, but I know better than the rest of the country. I know better than every premier in this country. I know better than Health Canada. I've got this. And then now to look back and say, like, I mean, you are saying that you take, you own that it didn't work, but the government isn't saying that. The government isn't saying they made a mistake or that it didn't work. And I think if the NDP had blown an $80 million deal, the UCP would be quite loudly and quite happily waving an incompetence flag. And yet in this case, the UCP is standing by it. I mean, they're, every time there's a new issue, they jump to another defense and you know now we're just gonna keep it in storerooms until it expires and still it was a good deal, but where is the other three and a half million bottles we were supposed to get here? Um, I think there's some ownership for the UCP to take care of that they messed up. Good intentions or not, they messed up. Coming back to my point, uh, we might not scream about 80 million, but we sure as heck screamed about 80 billion of uh, inherited debt. And to be fair, I gave that a conservative number. Your debt after office was 96 billion. And Those they were speculated like spending on the healthcare system. Those we were spend, things like we debt servicing. We're not just talking about throwing up 80 million dollars in the air and saying we don't care if we get our uh, Turkish Tylenol or not. But I think where the premier's answering the question is from, would you do it again to have the opportunity to get the drugs that children needed that were not available in Canada? And so I think that's where the unapologetic side is coming from is like, yeah, I would do it again. I mean, like I said, I was in that office um, during that time working for her. And the I, I want to correct something that you said about how it was, you know, 
it was leveraged politically. This was an individual, the premier of Alberta, that was hearing from parents and families and seeing in the news that this is this is something that's impacting the way they live their lives. And as the premier, and if you have the ability to do something about it, I think that that was showing leadership. And I would argue till the end of time that that was for political gain in any way, shape or form, because it was a high risk, kind of blew up um, in the way of not playing out the way that they wanted. But I think the reason why we're not seeing them apologize is who should apologize for trying to do everything in your power, whether it works or not, to, to do the right thing and get the medication here in whatever way possible. And I think that's why we're seeing them not apologize for it. Okay, but then that that argument applies across the board. Like, you don't like that the NDP ran a deficit. You don't like that the NDP added to the debt at a time of catastrophic oil price collapse. But you know what? They had the best intentions. So is that enough political cover to say it doesn't matter what the outcomes are? It doesn't matter what the unintended con- consequences are. As long as their hearts were in the right place, whatever decisions they made in office were fine. Like, I don't think that's a standard. Well, you guys kind of campaigned I, like you had it like that, that you didn't ever run on your record or talk about it. You kind of hid from it. So I don't know. But maybe. I think we hold our politicians to a higher standard than they tried their best. And and I'm not like, saying not that enough. I'm not saying like there's lessons learned. There could be some humility on you know, this this didn't turn out the way we wanted. We faced a bunch of variables of border control, labels, caps, all of these types of things that delayed the delivery and therefore having it so that it's not hitting shelves or that, you know, they're, they're pharmacy led first. Um, but I, I think that where Albertans should be looking is at the intention and having a leader that's going to step up and fight every way possible to get you what you need to make your life better. But this is like, it's tough, right? Because this is a small thing. This is an $80 million ah, so attempt it is a small at number. getting <laughs> like a relatively small thing. In the it's an scheme, attempt at yes. getting uh, children's pain medication onto shelves into the hands of parents. This is a relatively small thing that I would say it didn't go well. It didn't go right. It was not well thought through. And I hope that the government learned some lessons through it. But it is also an indicator when we look at now the entire healthcare system being reformed, should we be worried? Like, have we learned any lessons here? Are we just gonna like go for it with the best intentions because we came up with an idea or is the healthcare reform and the changes that the government making, are they gonna be thoughtful? Are they gonna be well thought through? And I think that's the kind of worry that comes from outcomes like this, where Albertans say, this was a small thing, but this government is in charge of really big things and they're making really big decisions. They're making really big changes. And I hope that at the end of all of this, I hope that it works out. But there's also a chance that, you know, the UCP shrugs and says, well, we had the best intentions. But and I, don't, I don't think that's enough. I don't think you can compare the two. So you're looking at an immediate crisis of, you know, no medicine, children's medicine on shelves. Right. That was an issue that came almost out of nowhere for for the general public and even to to a large degree politicians. So was it, and and I'm not trying to discredit the decision, but like more of a knee jerk reaction, right? Like it was a, it was a reactive response to, to what you need to do. And it was like, you know what, I don't, I got to figure out a solution. And Premier Smith was like, I need to help do something to help this situation. And I don't care that no one else is doing it, but I'm going to do that because this is a this is a reaction. 
When it comes to health care, I mean, the UCP campaigned on this in 2019. There was an EY report commissioned under Premier Kenny. Like we're talking this is five years at a pandemic, which obviously delayed a lot of those initiatives. But we're talking five years to get to here. Then you have Premier Smith a year ago put in a, uh, a chief administrator and now you're getting here. So I don't think you can compare the two by saying that how she approached the the children's medication is reflective of how she will approach or her government will approach a robust reform of the current healthcare system. Like this is five, five years old, right? So yes, there is a big change happening, but it didn't happen overnight. And it's been happening for, you know, half a decade. Well, I hope you're right. Me too. I hope you're right. I honestly, I hope <laughs> no, because I, yeah. I'm an Albertan and I need to access the healthcare system and my family does. I hope you're right. None of this would be possible without great partners. Speaking from experience, California Closets is every organized or wannabe organized person's dream. They do closets, kitchens, office spaces, and so much more. My closet at home is actually a California closet and they did such an amazing job with a relatively small space. My shoes, sweaters, dresses, and jackets all have their own spot and it is beautifully designed and absolutely functional. If you have a home organizational project in mind, California Closets can bring it to fruition. For more information, log on to californiaclosets.ca. All right, well, we're going to move to a next segment, one of my favorites, where it's called Pot Calling Kettle Black. Um, <laughs> so, Johnny, uh, if we can throw up uh, just Rachel Notley's Twitter from earlier. Um, so this comes from our feature story is how after months of the NDP criticizing the UCP's approach to the CPP-APP discussion, the NDP have started their own town halls to consult on whether Alberta should leave CPP as we are still waiting for Ottawa to come up with a dollar amount that Albertans would receive. Cheryl, I need you to explain after saying that the UCP is politicizing this, that they're driving political narratives and rhetoric. Can you explain to me this NDP strategy on your pension is yours campaign? And how can you say that this roadshow isn't political when on the NDP website, the first sentence is bolded and reads, Danielle Smith is willing to gamble with your pension by pulling out of the Canadian pension plan. Okay. So one really important thing before we dive into the NDP strategy on this is the government, the government, not the UCP caucus, has a much different responsibility to the people of Alberta than the opposition does. The opposition's job is to hold the government accountable. The, go the government's job in this case is to engage with the public in a real way. And they have failed to do that. And they have absolutely politicized this by one saying that they don't have an outcome in mind for their um, engagement. And then two, offering an engagement that is absolutely one-sided where Albertans don't have a choice to say, I don't want to leave CPP. And so yes, the opposition's top line is political because their job as a, as a caucus, as an opposition party, is to be political. That is much different than the expectation of the government. And I think what's different about what they're doing is in their consultations, in their face-to-face -face town hall, hall consultations, which have been attended by hundreds of people, those people have a choice. They can say they don't want to leave CPP and they can say they want to stay in CPP and they can say they want, they, they think the APP is a good idea. Um, but that choice, that ability to participate in a discussion that is not about what would you like our pension to be called? How would you like it to be managed? What percentage return would you like? 
um, that's a that's a false uh, consultation. And the NDP, maybe the top line is political, but this is a real consultation. And that is the biggest difference between what the NDP and the government is doing. The NDP are not saying that they're that, that taxpayers are paying for it. Is it correct to assume that taxpayers are are fronting the bill on on the NDP's roadshow? On the caucus, for sure. But the caucus is funded by yeah. taxpayer dollars. Right. Um, so, I mean, how, how can you justify? I'm going to bring out a Papa Baruti's um, quote. If you think he'll be the, so proud. I know he's going to probably tell <laughs> me that I didn't say it properly. Um, but if he's always said two wrongs don't make a right. So if if you think what the UCP is doing is wrong and quote unquote politicizing, we're at the ta- telephone town halls, any of the survey, like politicians have not been driving that. And now we have a bunch of politicians on the NDP side hosting and being the speakers at these town halls. How is how is that not also then a wrong in your books? Well, because it's they're fundamentally different organizations. If the UCP caucus, if the party wants to go out and tell people we believe we should leave CPP, do it. But the government and the government could say that too, but the government should not hold a charade where they pretend they're having a real consultation with with Albertans, assure Albertans that Alberta will not pull out of CPP unless they have a mandate from people to do that and then push ahead to a preconceived outcome. That is much different than the opposition's job, which is to hold the government accountable. The the opposition is saying, you want a consultation, you want your say on your pension, we're going to offer that to you because the government has failed to do that. They have failed to fulfill their mandate. And yes, they have a political position on it, but that is the job of opposition parties and opposition caucuses. But when you It's not the same as a government. But I I, I can't fathom me going to one of these town halls and feeling like there's a predetermined outcome, right? Like they're, they've been campaigning vocally, advertising Mm -hmm. and everything that they don't want a pension. So how is that my ability to go as someone that is still undecided on where I sit on this? How is that a consultation that's fair and transparent and open or to what I see it as is political grandstanding? And if it is, it is. Just call it that and don't sit there and say that the province who still can meet in person isn't meeting with you. So we're doing that. Like to me, that's kind of a stretch. It's not a kind of it's a huge stretch on on what how they're misleading Albertans. It's not a huge stretch. Like I will say, you know, give you the, you know, you're saying that the the NDP's town halls are likely politicized as well. That's probably true. Like you are probably, there's probably not a whole bunch of UCP supporters going out to the NDP's town halls. There are probably neutral, politically neutral Albertans, and there's probably a lot of NDP supporters. But I think that the idea that they're holding a town hall where people have the opportunity to look at them in their eyes, say things that they might disagree with or say things that that they agree with in an uncurated way, that's much stronger than what the government is doing. The government is technically not putting on, they would say they're not putting on political consultations, but the majority have been town halls. And anyone who's worked on the backside of a, of a telephone town hall knows that they can be absolutely curated. And that, you know, people can have a heads up what the callers are. Callers can be screened. uh, Callers can be pushed out. 
And that is a that is a much different outcome for those listening. It's a much more curated outcome than having the courage to hold a town hall face to face and hear directly from Albertans and be willing to take their criticism. And I would hope be willing to hear from them that this is not what they want. And for the record, I I think that the government should hold in-person town halls. Um, they've The minister was asked that and said, you know, I'm going to talk to Mr. Dinning, I'm going to assess. And, and I do hope that that's actually the next step. I think that there's a, a opportunity for them to address some of this criticism of the NDP and go to in-person con- um, consultations to really, again, I'm all about the process on this one because I still don't think that the education of what this means one way or the other um, is there. And I don't think it's being presented by either side um, to, to the full extent that I think I want to be educated before making this decision. So I do think there's, again, some humility there on how the government approaches this. But I also don't think that it's it's fair or that the approach that the NDP is taking is in the best interest of Albertans. I think it's in the best interest of the NDP and trying to create an environment where um, they are very biased. They are very political. And I would love if there was actually just no politics here and that we actually just went to. And I know that's like <laughs> idealistic. That's what you say when you're in government, right? <laughs> no, it's what <laughs> I say now that I'm no out of government here. and I'm like, I want the ideal <laughs> scenario. Um, but no, I think that that's I, I would like if that's where it got, because I do think if you're going to go to a referendum, put all the cards on the table. And I will stand by that. And I don't even know which side would even like that I said that. I think ask the freaking question. Ask ask if you want to leave CPP would be also a fair thing to do. That's a great place to start. Like if you're truly consulting with the people, asking them if this is what they want before you ask them how they'd like a future fund to be managed, that's where you start. And the reason that the NDP has found political leverage in this is because the UCP has done it so poorly. Like the reason you have hundreds of people attending NDP town halls is because they are frustrated that they're not getting it from the government. And does that become political? Yes. But again, that is the job of the opposition party. And that is the opening that the UCP has offered the NDP. If the UCP had done this right, if they had held real consultations, if they had looked people in the eye and they had asked legitimate engagement questions, there would be no opportunity for the NDP to do these. They would I not have the attendance that they have at them. Some way to grandstand. But I'm sure well, I'm sure they would find a way to consult on it and talk about it because there's been I mean, even through the election, we heard from people all the time saying that they were worried about their pensions. But would it be to the extent that they have now and would it be on the platform and with the leverage that they have right now on CPP? It wouldn't. It wouldn't be if the UCP had done it well. And I know uh, we got to move on. Um, I do want to just have each of us have a, a closing on that. So on the election side, I know that the NDP has come out and have been like, well, they are hiding about this. To be fair, there was a report. The premier addressed that there was a report. You can't speculate or share a report. And the NDP knows this. You know this. Well, it's still within the, the service and you're in a writ period. So I don't think that the they shelter knew. in process. But I mean, it is a process. You have something where you can't release something or speculate on it because that's not part of how the public service or the public works. And so there was no time that they said, we're never going to do this. You, she campaigned during her leadership, but looking all at the, all the fair deal stuff, fair. And then stopped during the election because it was deeply unpopular. 
and but then came I, right not, back to it after she was elected. It's not because of that. She sent the report back because it was done in a in a timeline that was not realistic. It was looking at over COVID and a bunch of other things that they didn't take into consideration. And so they sent it back to get it updated, which I agree with. Then the election happened. And so I don't think it's fair for her to say, she said, like, we're going to look at the report. Should we be elected again? And that doesn't, she never said yes or no to it, but she said it would be a referendum if it came forward. And that was something that did come up in the campaign. So it's not like they did, they didn't pull your guys's move of a carbon tax where you campaigned on, on something totally different and then brought it in. She actually addressed we didn't campaign the campaign on something totally different. You didn't campaign on the carbon tax and then you dropped no, it. No, but we campaigned on. on a world leading for an energy producing jurisdiction climate plan. But, and then we consulted experts about how to move a climate plan forward. And that is what the experts recommended. So it's not like it was. Well, this is what experts recommended on, on the, APP. Well, we both have experts, experts. are going to recommend it because there's only one outcome that the government has in mind. But I, I think we're going to disagree on how you guys got to your carbon tax. You're going to disagree on how we got to presenting an APP um, or the the findings of of either uh, on how they they came into legislation now. Um, but we will, I'm sure, talk about APP and CPP <laughs> for many weeks to come. Well, here, Cheryl, is something we can both agree on. The Pocket Lobbyist is an incredible company. We're grateful to have them as a sponsor. Pocket Lobbyist is an innovative company that is changing the way we think of lobbying. And the political risk is actually business risk. Pocket Lobbyist is a first-of-its-kind subscription-based platform designed to empower anyone who engages in business, lobbying, and government relation activities to achieve their objectives. With briefing notes, templates, trackers, webinars, and members-only newsletters, they will keep you up to date when it's convenient for you. And they're giving our listeners two months free, saving you over $300. All you have to do is go to pocketlobbyist.com, sign up as a member, and then enter the discount code during checkout anytime between now and December 31st. Grab a pen and write this down. The discount code is D-X-P-A-N-N-U-A-L. That's D-X-P annual. Well, for those who haven't been following along with the fallout over Premier Smith's COVID-19 report, the UCP has been taking some heat after Preston Manning, the chair of the committee behind the report, was caught leveraging his findings for political gain. And that has many asking questions about where the ethical line is when it comes to taxpayer funded reports like this and what the intended purposes are. And maybe before we let you defend that, Erica, we'll let Premier Smith defend it herself. So I'm just curious, how do you explain why Alberta taxpayers paid $2 million for this nonpartisan report that the panel chair suggests should be used as a political cudgel? Well, uh, Preston Manning, as I understand it, uh, sent that out from his own personal email. And um, so you can ask him about, about that. But we had given Mr. Manning the latitude to be able to do his own media on it, his uh, make people aware that it was available. And it doesn't surprise me that he wants to see other politicians look at the recommendations, take them seriously and see if they would act on it. Uh, We chose uh, Mr. Manning and I gave him the latitude to choose the other advisors on that committee who would be able to add uh, to their expertise to the recommendations. So there's uh, there's good information in that report. It, it doesn't surprise me that he would want to see other levels of government 
I, I suspect he would probably ask other provinces uh, to consider it too. I, I would like to see that we we do uh, a look forward to see how all of us can do a better job managing the pandemic. So I'm, I, I have no problem with him taking the, the steps that he did as a, an independent chair of that committee. I want to break this into two parts because I think that there's two sides of this because you talked about ethics of, say, the independent chair. And I think that's more of like the political question and then the timing of the email. Um, So, yeah, here's here's the email that George Chahal uh, MP in Calgary shared that came from, as you can kind of see, uh, Preston's personal email. Um, My feelings on this is I would not advise uh, Preston to have sent that out when he did. Because in politics, sometimes perception is is important, and a lot of times it is. Um, so I don't think the timing is ideal, but I don't disagree with what the premier's saying on him being an independent chair and it not really impacting his actions don't impact the validity of the study. And so that's my my piece on there. Maybe I'll throw it over to you on the email itself, and then we can get into the the other part about the the ethics and independent role. So just wait, though. If you're saying, listen, the timing sucks, and it does because he's essentially sending this note out as the report goes public. Um, as soon as it's publicly available, he sends this email out to um, federal conservatives. So, Erica, are you saying that if he had maybe like waited a day, this would be totally fine? And what he wrote to his his conservative MPs would be totally fine? Yeah, if he would have waited a, a little bit of time, um, his his role is over. If I wrote a report and I'm pretty sure that a lot of people in our space would agree, I wrote a report that I felt was very um you know, robust. It was very, I got to stop reusing that word. Um, very well thought Drink. out. It covered <laughs> your, yours is rhetoric. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I think that there is timing is the bigger issue here than what he sent. He is an independent chair. He sent it to people that might, I mean, he's, he's conservative. Like, I mean, if we're going to play this game of, of having a, a political individual that has uh, a different lens, like you guys have a laundry list and I'm happy to name some of them, but like, that's, that's not unheard of in, in political realm of having a panel of someone that is the like-minded party association of you. So I, I think that that's, that's happens in every space. The fact you sent it out, bad timing, wouldn't advise it. Don't think that that was constructive and not something I think the premier needs to to defend because those were his own actions. However, if I wrote a report that was I put that much time in that much effort, sure as heck, I am putting it on all of my social media platforms. I'm saying, please read this report. Here are the findings. This is what I believe. And I will probably email, but I would email it to people. Like, I don't but understand when you're like, about, hey, we're not talking about him saying, hey, check this out. I just finished it. We're talking about what becomes very clear is. And the question I think Albertan should be asking is, what was the intention behind this report? And that's what becomes more transparent when you see not only the email timing, but the email itself is to say this was taxpayer funded. This was intended to be a look at COVID-19, which I completely, you know, COVID-19 was unprecedented. Absolutely. We should look at what happened during COVID-19 how we responded and what we could do differently should a situation arise in the future. 
But in this case, and given the findings of the report, I think this raises questions about was this really intended to strengthen our system and strengthen our response, or was this taxpayer-funded report written as political ammunition for both local and federal elections? And if it's the latter, that's deeply unethical. That is not a good use of taxpayer money. And I don't think like surely it looks a little better if he waits a couple days, but it doesn't change the fact that immediately upon finishing this, his first thought is let's send this to all the, the federal MPs and see if we can use it to hammer the, the liberals and the NDP. And that's not a reason that taxpayer money should be used to write a government report. Like it should be used for the public good. I would not say that that fits into the category of public good. And I think that it was a misstep on rolling it out that unfortunately does impact part of the report. But the intention from day one was not for this report to stick it to to everyone else, right? It's not used for political intent. It was designed to do, like we talked about last week, the best practices and reviewing what happened to ensure that we mitigate the risk going forward. And to, But that's to move exactly it. opposite of what Preston Manning says in his email. Like, how does he view this report? Because that's important. He was the chair of this committee. He guided this report through its, its writing and through its presentation and through its release to government. And what was, you know, what did he have in the back of his mind as what this report would be used for? His email makes it sound like it was intended as ammunition against political opponents. And I, I can say from understanding when he was coming in to to, to do the report and be brought on, um, that was not ever the intention of this government, of the UCP government. And I can't speak for Preston Manning, but I know him well enough to think that he is doing it for the greater good of Albertans. Did he maybe you know, not take the the best route because it does give some backlash and it probably would have been safer to not do something like this. Um, but I, I don't think that it was unethical. I think that he sent it after his work was done to potentially share with buddies like I would. I'd put it on social media. Like, I think that you're. But I'm not saying honest, the email itself is unethical. I'm saying that this sheds light on what his intentions were as he put this report together. And if what he's written in the email were his intentions of the report, that is unethical. Albertans should not be paying to put together political ammunition for the conservatives, whether they're conservative supporters or not. That is not a good use of the public purse. This should have been a report looking at how we manage pandemics or public health emergencies in the future. It should not be a report put together to put in the hands of conservative MPs as ammunition against their counterparts. And that is what's unethical to me. It's not the email uh, itself. It's what the email tells us about what work has been going on behind the scenes. And I think Daniel Smith saying, well, it's okay because he sent it from his personal email is a total cop out. And I don't I don't think the email domain <laughs> matters um i i generally don't think that what you're making it out to be was the intention nor is is it the intention of of the government um you know i sit here and be like always try to understand where you're coming from and i i get the frustration i get how it impacts the report like i said horrible timing wouldn't advise him to do that. He has done it. I still think it makes the report as valuable as it was when it was released. He is independent. He 
did have, he made this decision himself, but I don't think it takes away from the integrity um, or the authenticity of what the report offers. So is it unfortunate for the overall experience and causing people to come up with um, you know, their own conclusions of, of the why behind this. The why was we had a pandemic that, you know, was unprecedented and let's hope we never have to deal with it again. But if we're going to, then let's let's learn some solid lessons from from how we did it to what we did to, you know, how we worked with all of the stakeholders from business owners to to doctors to scientists to make sure that next time we're going in with as many skills. So the frustrating thing um, from my perspective is that it does cause more, you know, what, exactly what you're talking about is criticism of the intention of the report. I can confidently say that that is was not never the intention of the report and his actions were unfortunate for how it's playing out. Well, you sound like you should be a spokesperson for the UCP government because the person who wrote the report clearly saw a different intention in it. And I think there was a lot of uh, criticism of the report already and some of the conclusions found in it saying that we should, you know, not just rely on science and doctors, but we should be looking for alternative narratives that paired with the fact that the chair of the committee looking at like building this report clearly saw it as political ammunition. I think those two things together, again, best intentions aside, there's enough information here for Albertans to be really questioning what the intention of this report is what their taxpayer dollars went to here and what they'll go to in the future and how this will be used going forward. Well, isn't this a nice another episode of us agreeing to disagree? Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Uh, we hope you enjoy the episode and encourage you to reach out to us and follow us on social media, on X and Instagram. And watch for new episodes every Friday morning. The Discourse is hosted by Cheryl Oates and Erica Baroudis. Follow on Instagram at The Discourse Pod. Subscribe to The Discourse on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.